normally I would say that uh, I don't like it when someone says what I was going to say. But in this case, I think that's a good thing. It's, it, it is uh, a privilege for me to be here. And uh, it's a, the, the same is true for me. So he's a good friend, and we have had lots of years of serving the Lord together. And it actually is, is a, real, a real encouragement and a blessing to me and my family uh, to be able to be here. We've been wanting to come here for a long time, and uh, we've been invited. We've had a standing invitation to be, to be here, to be able to come up and, and uh, see Alaska, and this is the first time we've been able to do that. And uh, it's been great so far. We have a few more days of, uh, of, our, of our trip. We are leaving on Wednesday evening and flying back. Uh, to Grand Forks, but uh, it's been great so far, despite a little bit more rain than maybe what we would have preferred, but but it actually has been really nice because the couple of days that we have been outside a lot, it hasn't rained. So uh, even in that, um, that's that's a blessing. Uh, The Lord uh, has certainly, um, you know, given us a good good trip, and of course the the fellowship has been great. Um, Many of you I have met, not all of you, I am Aaron Custer. My wife, Melissa, uh, is here, although she's with our youngest today, uh, Farah, who's sick. And uh, she's two. Farah is two. And uh, they are back in the, uh, the apartment right now because she, uh, she came down with a cold, a little bit of a fever uh, yesterday, I think it was. And so pray for her. Hopefully she recovers quickly. And hopefully the rest of the kids don't get sick. We have uh, Rhett, who's four. And then we have Timmy, who's 10. And Ellery, who's 11. So we have four children, and uh, they are a blessing. I told someone they're a blessing most of the time, um, and uh, he said, well, does that mean that some, most of them are a blessing? And I'm, no, no, they're all a blessing, just maybe not 100% of the time when uh, sometimes we have our problems. But of course, everyone has those, right? So they're used to us uh, talking about them, and uh, they truly are a blessing. So it's good to be here. Take your Bibles and turn over to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. We're going to start in verse number 17. We'll read through the end of the chapter, and we'll get to the point of the message. The title today is Pure Religion. Pure Religion. Now, there's many ways that we can interpret that, that phrase or that title, but um, the, this is found in the text in the last uh, verse, verse number 27, and we're going to talk about what this means and certainly apply it to ourselves. I appreciated the messages that we heard from Brother Humphrey this morning, uh, and uh, very challenging. And uh, I always appreciated, uh, I've always appreciated Brother Humphrey's preaching. We had him in our family camp a good number of years ago. Now it's been, I don't even know how long, but uh, but it's uh, it's it's really nice to connect with so many different people uh, in, uh, while we're here. But uh, let's start reading in verse number one, or excuse me, verse number seventeen of James one it says, "Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above." And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself 
and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the time that we can be in your house today. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the work that is being done uh, here uh, in North Pole, Alaska. We thank you for these dear people that have uh, come and, and, and given of their time and their lives to be in church today and to honor you on your day. And Lord, I pray that you would be with us in these next few minutes, that you would speak to our hearts and challenge us from your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we see in verse number 17 in this passage, verses 17 and 18 starts uh, speaking of and telling us about God. It's, we're get, he's the creator. He's the giver of all things that are good. God has is completely and totally given us what we need and what we, what we have. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. We see that he is unchangeable. There is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. We see that he is the truth. He is the light. And when we think about, just of course, always, when we think about God, these are the things that we should be aware of. We should understand that, you know, the, the, the things that we, that we experience in our lives, the in, you know, insecurities, the, thing, the things that change, we don't know what's going on. I was just having a conversation with someone today, and, and, and they were telling me about the, the, uh, the process they, they went through of, of coming here, and, you know, hey, this, this, I'm not, this isn't where I'm from, and what's the Lord going to do? And, and, of course, the Lord works all things out, and trust in the Lord is never going to result in negatives. It's always going to result in a, in a blessing, and that's what we are expected to do as Christians, is to trust in the Lord. But many times we experience, we experience an insecurity. We experience things in our life that we don't understand, and we can, we can always trust that the Lord is unchangeable, that God is unchangeable, that there is no variableness, that there is not a shadow, even a shadow of turning. I like that phrase. It's not even a question of whether or not God will always be the same. You know, we have a lot of choices that we have to make. You know, we made the decision to come here and to make a trip to Alaska. And sometimes plans change. We experienced a little bit of a of, well, it was actually a, 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 more than a little. It was, it was a conflict in the, in the plans that we made because we had our teen camp, and I'm the youth leader in our church, and we had our teen camp scheduled for the beginning of August, and we had this trip scheduled for now, and the camp that we were going to be using, that we were going to be sending our kids to, uh, changed the dates on us. And, all, and they said, hey, we need you to come at the end of August. And I said, I can't be there. And it really it seemed at the time like, what's going on? Why is this happening? Why did the Lord, you know, set this up this way? Well, he's in control. And there are many, just take my word for it, there are many, many, many other circumstances that are a part of 
all the things that we experience, even in that situation, and we, you just have to say the Lord is in control and he knows what's best. And we hear of answered prayers. We, think we, we hear of things just as we just heard with the missionary and, the, and the, the prayers that have been offered up, and we know that God is in control. And that's such a blessing to know that and to always be confident of that. So even when we have plans that, that don't happen the way we think they're supposed to happen, we, we, we experience things in our lives that we consider to be problems. They're not true problems in God's eyes. As long as we, of course, just look to him as the authority and he has the answers for us. We don't try to do things ourselves. So we see these, these uh, character traits, if you will, these, these, this description of, of God and who he is, and the fact that he, he begat us with the word of truth, that we should be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. And we're going to be skipping through a number of, of these verses. We, we will certainly not have the time to dig into every verse but we're setting it up for the, the, the main point of the message. But we see the first couple of verses describing God. The next few verses we see, verses 19 through 22, these are directives that are given to us in light of God's character. In light of what we have just read about God's character, there are some things that we are commanded to do. Verse number 19 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, be, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. I think that should probably be something that we should all be focused on, right? I mean, how, it's, pretty, it's pretty, pretty, cover, pretty much covers the bases, right? Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. I know that the less we speak, the better off we are most of the time. And if we're listening instead of speaking, and then we don't allow ourselves to get angry and frustrated and wrathful, at the drop of a hat, you know, then, you know, the, the Bible says that he, he that hath no rule over, over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. You know, to be slow to wrath is a very valuable character trait. And these are things that we are expected as Christians, as church members, and as specifically saved people who are following the Lord and what he has for us, these are things that we are expected to do. Verse number 20, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And, and, and I like, you know, I like these phrases. These, there's, a, there's a couple of these phrases we see in this passage, and of course there are others throughout the Bible. But when it's a very straightforward, matter-of-fact statement of fact, anything that is done in wrath, in our own physical, human anger, is not of God. It's not. And so, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. If we are, if we, you, me, if we are having the tendency in our life to be driven to anger, to be driven to reactive, you know, wrath, so to speak, it's not the righteousness of God. We are not accomplishing that uh, in our lives. Verse 21, it says, "...lay apart the sins of the flesh." Lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. You know, the sins of the body would be, a, a, I think, a, a good description when we see the word filthiness. These are, these are physical sins that we commit. And, but then we also see the superfluity of naughtiness. And that means the, the sins of the heart, the desires, the thoughts, 
and the tendencies that our heart wants. And even if it's not something that is manifested in our physical actions, it's something that the Lord sees, God knows, God knows our heart, and we are expected and commanded to lay apart these things. If we lay apart these sins, we separate ourselves from these sins and receiving, meekly receive the Word of God, it's for the saving of our soul. These are all things that, that we are uh, expected to do, the commands that are given to us. Verses 22 through 25, uh, you know, we know these, these verses. These are very common verses, very, uh, verses we've heard many messages on, and the verses that ring in my, my, ring in my mind over and over again throughout the course of my life. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You know, you can have all the knowledge in the world. You can know the Bible. You can have Scripture memorized. You can be able to have the most intelligent spiritual conversation with anybody that you ever run across. But if you never actually do anything with it, what good is it? What good is it? It's not something that is going to benefit you. Be a doer, not just a hearer. And of course, the comparison that we see is looking in a mirror and, and then just walking away, saying, oh yeah, you know, I need some help there, but I'm just going to walk, walk away and, and just uh, doesn't bother me. And that's the comparison, that's the, the analogy that we see there. So, you know, all of these verses, verses 17 through 22, or 20, it's actually through verse 25, um, it, it speaks of these things that we are expected. Based on God's character, based on who he is, these are the things that we are expected to do. But when we get down to verse number 26, and it starts talking about the word religious or religion. And the Bible use of the word religion in, in this passage, and when we do see it, and it doesn't happen many times in Scripture. We don't see the word religion uh, many times in Scripture. It's less than ten times in, in the Bible. Um, the word doctrine is actually used much more than we, use, than we see the word religion, right? And for Baptists, that's a lot more powerful of a word, amen, right? The doctrine, we love the religion bad, doctrine good, right? That's kind of how we look at it as Baptists. And, uh, and so I'm not going against that necessarily, although the word religion in this passage is not a negative usage as maybe what we think about religion. When we hear of the word religion, we've, I mean, my, my, my dad, the pastor of our church, you know, he preaches, he's preached many, many messages against religion, against false religion. And of course, we know this to be true. You know, if someone's trusting in infant baptism to get themselves to heaven, well, that's just trusting in religion. They're not going to get to heaven trusting in infant baptism. They're not going to, you know, get to heaven because they, you know, the Muslims or whatever the Muslims teach or whatever the Buddhists teach or whatever the Catholics teach, say the Hail Marys, and, and that's all vain, worthless, garbage religion. And we know this is true. You know, I think that we could maybe sometimes say that denominations, the denominations of the world um, are the false, are the false things that, that we are identifying and preaching against. But the word religious is, uh, can be, if we, if, you, if we view it and interpret it in the way that the Bible uses it, it can be a good thing. Uh, turn over, just, just as a proof of what we're looking at here uh, quickly, turn over to, to Revelation 22. Revelation 22, verse number 18. 
And it says, I for I testify unto every man that heareth the, the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Now, that's a very straightforward statement of religion. And sometimes it really boggles my mind about the, the fact that these different denominations, these different you know, sects that teach certain things, and, and it's nowhere to be found in the Bible. It's not even close in some cases. It's completely fabricated by man. And you say, well, well how in the world can they justify this? And of course, we know it's the devil. It's, it's Satan's deceiving that is propagating these false teachings. And these, the people that hear it, the people that do it, they don't know the Bible. They don't know anything about it. Um, just even earlier today, talking, having a conversation, someone can say that they're a Christian, but yet if you ever talk to them about death, you talk to them about dying, you talk to them about going to heaven, are you going to go to heaven? Are you going to go to... They don't have, they don't have anything to do with that conversation. Well, why not? If you're, if you're thinking and conscious of Bible truth... Why wouldn't you talk about the afterlife and where we're going to be going when we die? It's clear that the word Christian, you know, and the word, you know, the, the religions of the world, the things that people use, those terminologies, are certainly not the truth, and we know this. But going back to the text, uh, it says in verse 26, if any man among you seem to be religious, and just so I'm covering my bases, we know when we say the word religion or religious, we're not talking about those things. But what does it mean to be religious in the biblical sense? What does it mean to be like Christ, to be a Christian, to follow the Lord in what he wants us to do? Well, we just saw a lot of, the, a lot of things that were listed out in these, pre, in these preceding verses. But I find, these in, I find this statement interesting that what we see in, in the statements we see in 26 and 27, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Vain religion defined. Well, when we, would, when we define the sin of the world, the, the sins that we struggle with, the sins that we, that we hear preaching against, the sin that sends people to hell, it's pretty easy to take most of what those things, those things that you hear, and put it in the category of the tongue. There are so many sins that start with the tongue. And whether it's teaching false doctrine, or whether it's you, me, saying things that we shouldn't say that blow up into some big issue, we can very much, maybe not every time, but very often we can take, we can apply it, and we can say an unbridled tongue was the beginning of that problem. The tongue, as we know, is a powerful tool. James 3, verse number 6, it says, the tongue is a fire. You can flip over there if you'd like. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Some powerful, some strong statements about the tongue. It's a world of iniquity. 
and, and the tongue among our members, the tongue among you know, fellow Christians, among, among the saved, it, could defileth, it defileth the whole body. How many times have you heard of a church split happening or, or people leaving a church or something and it's because of things that were said? Just simply things that were said in many cases. Gossiping, backbiting, negative things that certainly have no place in a Christian's life. It's not our job to talk to others about other people's problems. You know, if it's one, it's one thing if maybe if it's, a, if it's our family or it's something that we're trying to, to, you know, some problem we're trying to solve in a family unit, but we need to be very, very careful that we don't allow our tongues to cause these problems, whether it be among our immediate family or whether it's among a church or, or anything else, an unbridled tongue. You know, I, I think it's interesting, and the older that I've gotten, um, I like to think that I've learned this lesson as I've gotten older, certainly haven't learned it completely. But, uh, and I think uh, Brother Demlo, Pastor Demlo might have said this last week in his message, um, the tendency to just fire something off, especially like in social media, how easy is it to see something, and I'm not on Facebook, thankfully, because otherwise I probably couldn't be standing here saying this because <laughs> I would probably be guilty. But, uh, you know, so just avoid it and not put myself in that position. But how easy is it to see something and just, like, shoot off a message and say, blah, 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 I'm telling you all about it. How easy is it to do that? Sometimes it's easy to do that even just among, you know, acquaintances and text messages, much less on social media. And even in person, sometimes we can get ourselves in real trouble by saying things without thinking first, without, without considering the cost, considering what sort of effect, negative and positive, it might have. I think that an unbridled tongue is something we're all guilty of at one, at one time or another. But the Bible says that if a man seems to be religious or says they're religious but has a completely unbridled tongue, this man, his religion is vain. He's deceiving his own heart. Another verse in James that has to do with this, uh, this, this principle, verse number 11 of chapter 4, says, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. So right there, we're talking about judging the law or, be, or putting ourselves above the law of God that has been given to us for our learning and our edification and our knowledge. We're putting ourselves above that by speaking evil one of another. It's an amazing thing. It's a powerful, powerful thing. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13, verse number 3. He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life, but he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. We're talking about restraining our tongue. We're talking about you know, foolish and vain talking. Keep your mouth, keep your life. It's a, good, it's a good principle to teach your children, amen? That's an important thing. Hey, just keep your mouth shut. But, no, no, just be quiet and think about it. 
Proverbs 21. A few other a few pages over. Proverbs 21. Verse 23 says, Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. And there are many, many other verses we could read. Those are just a few verses. Sometimes it's just, it should be a matter of self-preservation. Don't talk so much, because the more that someone knows about you, the less respect they're going to have for you. So just keep your mouth shut, because it actually makes you look better. To not say so much, right? Ignorance is bliss. I have automatic respect for someone until they open their mouth and start talking to me. And then I say, oh, well, you know, maybe not so much. No, I'm just kidding. But, but it can happen, right? We've all been there, right? We've all been there. Just self-preservation, maybe. Just don't say as much. Just, just, just keep, keep the tongue in check, and things t- t- uh, most of the time are going to be, uh, are going to be better. Um, looking back in the text, uh, you know, it's, it's deceiving yourself. Not only is, uh, if it says, bridleth not his tongue, if a man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, he's actually dece- a person who does this and consistently speaks out of turn, speaks on things that they don't know, spouting their ignorance. They're deceiving themselves. And I think we've all met people like that. You know, not only is someone, you know, maybe an idiot in some ways, but then they tell everybody how, about it. And you just say, hey, they would be better off just not talking. You know, the, the, the point is, is that it's vain religion. And, and there are many practical applications to this principle, but... If, uh, the, the, if the tongue is unbridled, if the tongue is not controlled, and it's just consistently, this is the problem, this is the way it is, it's vain. The religion is vain. It's an unbridled tongue, it's deceiving yourself. First um, John 1, turn over there for me. First John chapter 1, verse number 8. And you know, as I said before, we're all, we can all be guilty, and all are guilty, of talking too much, and so I think that that you know certainly no one is perfect. Myself, right at the top of that list, and so when we when we allow ourselves to speak without thinking, when we allow ourselves to speak before we before we uh, think about what we're going to say and out of out of turn, out of hand, it certainly can be and is the definition of vain religion. We are thinking of ourselves probably more highly than we ought to think, but at the worst, it says in verse in First John one eight. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You know, the word deceiving ourselves, talking too much, saying we have no sin, telling others how, how good we are, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us in that, in that situation. A person who, who consistently is more than willing to talk about themselves, but yet isn't talking about others or allowing others to talk, very, very likely in that, in that situation, if they're not giving the Lord the credit and the glory for their life, the truth is not in them. Many times we see that, people who are not saved, lost, the lost people, it's just talking, talking, talking. That's all it is. Revelation, one more verse on this ta- uh, in, this, uh, in this point, it's Revelation chapter 3. Revelation 3, verse number 17. It says, Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. They say it, right? They say, I am rich. I, they say, I am increased with goods. I have need of nothing, but it's the exact opposite. 
And the person has convinced themselves. Many times, convinced themselves, we can convince ourselves of something that is the opposite of true in our lives, and it's because of the tongue. Unbridled, uncontrolled tongue. So this is the definition in this passage. Going back to the text, James, James 1, the definition of vain religion and the proof of what we see as vain religion is an unbridled tongue. But when we get to the next verse, verse number 27, it goes into defining pure religion. So once again, we see that we see the, the one side of the coin, and then we see the other side of the coin. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. The ministry of the Lord and, the, and love, Christian godly love for one another, is what defines true and pure religion. The church is a wonderful way for us to work on developing this in our lives and also to, as a whole, as a body, to minister to other people. And I think that, you know, if you go back to the word religion, well, certainly churches, that's where it's centered. The word religion, it's, it's coming from churches. And we know, as I stated at the beginning, that it can be a negative word because of false doctrine that is taught. But when it comes to what a church is all about, when it comes to what our job and our purpose is as individuals, as Christians, in the local New Testament Baptist church, amen, it's our job to have pure religion in ministering to others. To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction is, is an important, incredibly important principle that we cannot and should not overlook. Pure, undefiled holiness and service to God is for God, to God, but we display that to other people in the way that we interact and minister to others. You know, widows and orphans, those are the ones that are listed here, the fatherless and the widows. But those are, those are just examples of the principle that we are expected to portray in our lives. There are many biblical exhortations to love and to care for the widows and the orphans, but also one another. Minister to one another. Let brotherly love continue. Do you have compassion? Ask yourself the question. You know, just as we should ask ourselves, are we talking too much? Is all we ever want to do talk about ourselves? And by the way, the word pride, of course, if we're talking about ourselves, that's pride. But the talking is a huge part of that, right? Is that what we want to do? Or are we having compassion to others, making a difference? Do you have your, a sacrificial attitude towards, your, towards others, of yourself? You know, there are many that have the gift of giving. Someone stated that to me. Uh, about, about a, per, a person in this church and how what a giving person they were, they are, and how they have the gift of giving. And, you know, I, look at, I, I believe that, that my wife has, has that gift as well. Melissa is a very giving person. She would give whatever she can to help somebody out, and that's a blessing to me, um, not because she gives me stuff, but just because I see it in, in, in the way that she relates to others. 
And, you know, for, my, for myself, I don't necessarily believe that that's a gift that I have. It's something that I have to think about. I have to be consciously making a decision to do something for somebody else because maybe it doesn't come as naturally to me as it does to other people. And that's a personality thing. But we all, as Christians, are expected, as church members, most importantly, are expected to give of ourselves, to sacrifice of ourselves. It's the opposite of the talking. Talk a good game, right? But what does it actually, you know, result in? What does it actually do? You know, we need to, some of us need to work at this a little bit more, but it's the definition of pure, undefiled religion. To visit the fatherless and widows in their their affliction. And there's also other ways. There are manifestations of this principle. You know, evangelism. In a church setting, also personal evangelism, church-oriented ministry and outreach, uh, charities, Christ, you know, not, not necessarily worldly charities, that's not what I'm talking about, but charitable efforts that are geared to help people. I think those are things that we, as Christians, should be willing to do and looking for the opportunity to be a part of. You know, what did Christ do in his ministry? His entire earthly ministry was dealing with people less fortunate, the down-and-outers, so to speak, right? He was constantly reaching out and ministering to these sorts of people, people that are less blessed than we are. Do we do this? Is this something that we make a point of in our lives? I think that it's, it's, it's maybe somewhat underrated. Maybe we look at you know, other ways of serving as being more important, and I do believe that all, all ways of serving are important, whether it's playing music in a church, in a church service, or whether it's taking the offering, or cleaning the, cleaning the bathrooms during the week, or whatever it might be, I believe these are all examples of sacrifice and examples of this principle, but we certainly need to make sure that we don't just get in a rut and just do what we do. And that's all I do, and everybody else, they can take care of everything else. We should be allowing the Lord to lead us in all of these ways and looking for opportunities to be a blessing. There's always somebody. I, t- I tell this to the teenagers all the time in our church. I say, you know, we have, we have uh, it seems like it comes up when we have a teen class or, or some sort of youth rally or, or whatever. And I always say, you know what? Every one of you has somebody that's looking up to you. Every one of you, even the 13-year-old kid that probably thinks I'm the, I'm the lowliest one of the group, no, everyone picks on me, you know, they have a sibling, they have somebody in their life that looks up to them and thinks they're pretty cool. And I said, that's, that's, the, way, that's the way we should look at this. We should look at it like, what, what can I do to be an example for the person that's looking up to me? Husbands, your wife is looking to you for leadership. Wives, your children... And it goes right down the list, of course, we know, right down the progression. Are we demonstrating and proving in our lives pure religion, ministry and love for one another? The, The final point of the message is the last part of this verse, and it's not just, we know, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and the final phrase, to keep himself unspotted from the world. And we know this to be holiness. We know this to be separation to, unto the Lord. 
holiness. Service alone is not enough to be purely religious in the sense that we're talking about the word religion. I have to qualify it every time I say it because it sounds so funny to me. Religion, yeah, no, you know what what I'm talking about. The religious, the religion of the Bible, the following of the Lord and modeling our lives after Him. It's not enough to just serve. Sometimes it's easy to do that. I know for myself, that's been you know, the tendency over the years. I've been, you know, very active in my church. My parents, my dad is the pastor. He's been the pastor there for over 30 years. You know, I've been, I've been active. And sometimes you can get in the rut of just serving and doing, and this is what we do, and it's great, and I enjoy it. But what's my personal life like? How is the time when you're by yourself? Are you spiritually minded? Or are you worldly-minded? It says to keep himself unspotted from the world. I think of the word unspotted. I think that's a really descriptive word as well. You know, you think of mold. Mold is a bad thing, right? You get mold on the moose meat, Caleb? Not a good thing, right? Yeah, how does it start? It starts with a spot, right? A little spot of mold. Maybe it's the food in your fridge. Oh, it's got just a couple little spots of mold in there. It's, it's fine. Well, maybe with cheese, you cut off the, you cut off the mold. <laughs> but most things, if you get any mold on it, it's garbage. Even just a couple little spots. You know, how about, how about mud? We were, we were mudding yesterday in the, in the ATVs. That was great. We went up in the mountains and all over the place. And, you know, spots of mud. Well, I only have a few spots of mud on my pants. They're still clean. No, not really right? You know it's not. Rust on a vehicle. You get a couple of spots of rust on a vehicle. It's not perfect anymore. It's got that rust starting to eat it out from, from, from underneath, right? And there are examples of, of, of just, it starts with a little spot. It doesn't have to, it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal, but it is. And in, in a spotted life, a life that is spotted from of the world or from the world is a life that's not truly, purely given to the Lord. You know, the the you know, I wouldn't expect that a Christian, a saved person who goes to church and loves the Lord and wants to do what's right, I wouldn't expect that person to have, you know, a filthy, completely worldly private life. I don't think that's really possible. I think a saved person is not going to be wholly given over to the world. But they certainly can have spots of the world. And sometimes those spots can be things that they're not necessarily willing to give up. Oh, you know, I'm, that's not a big deal. I'm okay with it. It's fine. We'll just ignore that spot in my life. Everything else is pretty good, but I'm just going to ignore that. Not, not a big deal, right? Well, the Bible doesn't agree. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. And this is an example. This is a, this is a proof of what we are expected to do. When it says keep ourselves or keep yourself unspotted, it means we have personal responsibility. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22 says, Lay hands suddenly on no man, 
neither be partaker of another man's sins. Keep thyself pure. Turn over to Jude 21. Jude verse 21 says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Keep yourselves in the love of God. There's personal responsibility. And it goes back to the principle that we see earlier in James 1, where it speaks of being a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. There is personal responsibility that is given and expected of each of us when it comes to following the Lord and being what He wants us to be. It's not enough to just show up in church. It's not enough to just read your Bible, although that's an important part. It's not enough to just, you know, be a good person. And most people around me think I'm a pretty good guy or a good, good gal, whatever. It's not enough. We have a responsibility to separate ourselves from the world. And when there are things, things come in. The world is attacking. Satan is attacking. Satan wants to get the victory over us in our lives. And there will be, always be things. As long as we are living on this earth in a human body, there are going to be things that are attacking and coming in and trying to distract us from serving the Lord and being like Him. And it's our job to get rid of those things those spots, those worldly spots that affect us. And if we allow those things to come into our lives and just sit there and we don't get rid of them, and yeah, you know, I know it's probably not the greatest thing in the world, but ah, it's not that big of a deal. Well, it actually is a big deal. And it's going to become an even bigger deal if you're not actively fighting against it. You know, sometimes I wonder, why is it that the Lord wants to use me? Because, you know, I'm nothing. I'm not anything special. And every one of us here could say that. Why does the Lord want to use you? Look at my life. I'm nothing special. I have all sorts of problems. Well, I believe that the attitude that we must have is, one, of constantly fighting against the things of the world. And if we do that, if we constantly are actively pushing back against the worldly things that are encroaching on our lives, that are constantly attacking, Satan constantly attacking, and if we are actively doing what we can do, asking the Lord for strength and for grace to help me do what I can do, to fight against these things, that's all the Lord requires. He ex expects us to do what we can do. And, and the, verse, the verse is right there, keep yourself. It doesn't, it's not perfection. He's not expecting sinless perfection. We know this, because if he was, then we would all be, you know, without hope. He's not expecting sinless perfection, but it, he is expecting personal responsibility to do what we can do, to follow the Lord in, every, in the way, every way that we can possibly do. So to serve him, to visit the fatherless and the widows, to, uh, to engage in ministry, to sacrifice of ourselves, and then to fight against the things of the world, the things that are constantly coming in and attacking us. You know, is, is, is being a Christian just a title? 
well, I go to a church. I go to Black Road Baptist Church, so I'm a Christian. Is that, is that, is that what it is? No. Being a Christian isn't just a title. You don't just call yourself a Christian. Being a Christian is being Christ-like, being saved, following the Lord with your life. You know, the world has religion, religions, many, many religions, many denominations, false teaching. We've talked about it. But it's not pure religion. It's not true religion. Do you have pure religion? Are you following the Lord? You know, these direct statements I find to be a blessing. The verse number 27, as we've read, it's a direct statement. It's, a, it's something that we can say, this is what I have to do. Turn over to Micah chapter 6, 8. Or excuse me, chapter 6, verse 8. Micah 6, 8, one of my all-time favorite verses in the Bible. Micah 6, 8. It says, He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. What does the Lord require of us? Oh, man, there's so much. It's so hard. It's so many things to think about. Kids can maybe think that sometimes, right? So hard to please my parents. My parents seem like they're never happy, and I'm always doing something wrong. Why do I do these things? It's so hard. Well, you know what? It's actually fairly simple. What does the Lord require of thee? Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. You follow those, those simple statements, and yeah, it's easier said than done. I understand that. And the Christian life is a struggle. It can be a struggle. And even when we're walking with the Lord and we're fellowshipping with Him, there are a lot of challenges in life, a lot of things that aren't easy. But having and following the pure religion as defined by James 1 and understanding that a true, fulfilled, happy, joyful Christian life comes from ministering to others and pushing back, pushing against the world, cleaning up those spots, those spots that show up in our life, cleaning it up, getting rid of it, doing our best, asking the Lord to help us and give us strength. That's how we can have a productive Christian life, and we can be fulfilled and joyful in the process. It's an, encar- it's an encouraging thing. It should be. Be aware of what pure religion is. Ask yourself, is this being portrayed in my life? How's your tongue? It's kind of hard to know if things are going, going good in your life if you're too busy talking about it, right? Ask, your, to ask yourself, what, how is it this? How is it this way? Maybe ask somebody that, that's close to you. What do you think about me? Do I talk too much? may not be a terrible idea. Sometimes it's good to get somebody else's opinion. Your pastor, of course, spiritual counselors, spiritual leaders. There's a lot of things, a lot of, a lot of uh, a benefit to just simply being humble about what we are and saying, hey, I'm doing my best. I want the Lord to work through me. Ask yourself these questions. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for these truths, and I thank you for the time that we have had today to examine your word. Lord, I thank you for the way that you work in our lives, that you accomplish your will in us, Lord, that you use us in spite of our shortcomings, 
in spite of the fact that we are, we are so imperfect, we are so sinful. So many things, Lord, that I have done, the things that I, I look at and I say, how could, how could I be used of the Lord? How can the Lord how, why would the Lord want to use me? But yet you do. I thank you for that. And I praise you that you give us what we need from your word that we can follow. We don't have to memorize the Bible in order to know what you think and what you want us to do. Lord, you give us simple statements, simple verses that we can hang on to and read and and have in our minds. And Lord, I pray that you would help us all to keep these things and to focus on these things, that you would uh, use us more in the service of, of the Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.